This is Paul Tomko, and you're listening to episode four of the Anti-Aging Lifestyle. Look, you only get one shot at this thing called life. And your lifestyle, the decisions you make every day, are either making you age faster or slower. Anti-aging is my passion. My goal is to give you the tools to live a long, healthy life. And of course, make sure you look good along your journey. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to use this podcast to help find those answers so we can all live our best life. Let's get started. All right, episode four, here we go. So as a continuation to the last episode three, when we're talking about training, specifically weight training, strength training, today we're talking about a functional training and then some cardio, kind of like a cardio overview. So functional training, what does that mean? Functional training to me, I'm sure there's some kind of formal definition out there, but to me it's just doing movements that simulate real world activities, things that use multiple planes of movement and motion. So, for example, doing something in a a gym on a machine that's very, very uh, one-dimensional, like doing a chest press. You can only move forward and back, forward and back. There's no angles. There's no side-to-side, up and down. It's just forward and back. That's very non-functional, as opposed to like an explosive push-up, which... You know, stress is the same muscle groups, but it's a different type of stress that does more stress to the ligaments, the joints, the stability of those joints. So similar to how I kind of broke down all the different muscle groups for, you know, strength training, resistance training to help stimulate those muscles to grow and shape you to look a certain way. I'll kind of give you a few examples of more functional movements for each of the muscle groups. Biceps and triceps. So in general, when you're doing biceps and tries in the gym, for the most part, they're going to be very, very isolated, non-functional movements, like a preacher curl where your arms are isolated or an overhead extension. These are very, very isolated, unnatural movements that, you know, they'll make your arms grow and make them look bigger and look stronger, but not very functional. Some examples of a more functional movement that would still hit those same muscle groups. For biceps, you could do like a pull-up where your hands, your palms are facing towards yourself. Doing pull-ups like that. Using battle ropes. You see those big uh, black ropes in the gym. Those are called battle ropes. And you can, there's different exercises that you can do with them. But when you work in battle ropes very, very quickly, explosively, you are using both biceps and triceps in a very functional way. Some more functional tricep movements would be like push-ups and dips, anything where you're using your body weight, where there's a little bit of movement, motion, you can go side to side. You're using gravity, but you're using your body weight in a way that is much, much more functional than like a machine press or a machine dip that only goes up and down or in one, one dimension. Now, of course, you could you could get even more and more functional, right? You could go from push-ups to explosive push-ups with a clap to explosive push-ups off of a BOSU ball into a clap, into a medicine ball. Like, you don't need to get too crazy with it, right? There is a fine line where 
if you try being too functional, uh, you open your yourself up to higher risk of injury, which is the last thing that we want. So, you know, it's good to be more functional with movements when you can, but not at the expense of technique and form and uh, things that lead to injury. With shoulders, some of the most functional things that you can do, I'm not going to get into Olympic lifts because I, I personally don't really do them because, well, there's no real excuse, honestly. I, I have some old injuries, which kind of makes me hesitant, but also my technique, which obviously I can improve if I wanted to. But the point is, I don't do a lot of Olympic lifts, so I'm not going to really talk on those too much. Of course, there are very functional shoulder movements that are Olympic lifts, like the snatch, the clean and jerk. But again, those aren't my expertise, so I'm not going to touch on those right now. But more functional shoulder movements that I do do occasionally would be like a one-arm dumbbell press. I told you a little bit about this uh, movement that I, I do occasionally in the last podcast episode. But it's something like uh, using a real stable base with your legs, a strong position, and coming down almost like an Arnold press so your palms rotate towards you at the bottom and you explode up, drive the dumbbell up uh, as you come up. That's a very functional movement, much more functional than something like a machine lateral raise for shoulders, right? Uh, You think about ab movements, if you're training your abdominals. Something like a machine crunch is not very functional, right? You literally are just crunching in a machine. Not very uh, representative of how you might have to use your core or your abs in the real life. Something that might be much more functional would be like a, you know, just laying down on the ground and doing W's or V-ups or leg raises, hanging leg raises. You could do wood choppers with, you know, a high cable attachment, chopping down a cross to work your serratus in the, your side wall of your abs. There's so many more functional movements compared to just like an ab crunch machine. For legs, oh man, there's so much here. Let's say you're trying to work your quadriceps, the front of your your thigh muscles. The most non-functional, isolated version of that would be like a leg extension, right? Where you're just isolating purely the quadriceps. Now, something more functional than that would be something like a leg press. It's a compound movement. You're isolating your quads as well, but in a way that you're also working your glutes, a little bit of your hamstrings, your entire legs. But even on a leg press, that leg press is still sliding in one dimension. It only goes down and back up, down and back up. So yes, leg press is more functional than a leg extension, but uh, it's still pretty non-functional. Something more functional than a leg press would be like a, a free weight squat using a barbell where you're squatting down, You're able to shift back and forth if you need to, to really adjust down to get comfortable into a squat. Something even more functional than a squat would be like a jump squat. Something where you have weight or even like your body weight, where you come down into a squat, you leave the ground. So you're jumping and right back down into the squat. So squatting down, jumping up, squatting back down again. You can get even more functional than that. Again, you could do a jump squat with a rotation where you jump up, rotate 180 degrees so you face from facing the front you face the back land squat down jump up rotate again i mean you could rotate even further but something that i do in my training is jump squats with a rotation 
Again, these are just examples so you can understand what more functional movements might look like in your training routine. Again, no need to get too crazy with it. I don't need you doing a jump squat off of a BOSU ball onto a, you know, onto a box and, you know, like don't hurt yourself here. (laughs) The point is to do more functional movements, not to get hurt. So now the question is, what would be the best time to add functional movements to your routine during your workout? Two kind of schools of thought on this. One is to do a more functional movement. Say you're working, you know, your legs. Would you want to start with jump squats once you're warmed up to kind of get everything uh, prepared for your, your heavy leg workout where you're going to be doing heavy squats and lunges and deadlifts? That's one school of thought. You can do light functional movements to warm up your body, warm up your legs, warm up the tendons and the joints. Another school of thought is to finish your workout with functional movements. So warm up well. You do all the heavy compound movements, your lunges, your squats, deadlifts, leg press. And then once your muscles are super fatigued and your your muscles are stimulated to grow, you finish up with something lighter like a functional jump squat, you know, maybe five sets of 20 with a drop set at the end. Some kind of functional movement that uses maybe not as much heavy weight, but more just explosiveness using your body weight as more of a fin- finisher move, which is which is what I tend to do. I tend to start, if I'm doing legs, I'll do, you know, a, a good warm-up always, whether I'm, you know, using body weight lunges, rolling out on a foam roller, starting with maybe some light leg extensions just to warm up my knees. I'll go through my heavy compound movements, my deadlifts, my lunges, my leg press, maybe Romanian deadlifts if I'm hitting my hamstrings that day. And I'll finish with more dynamic movements, like a jump squat or... You know, even lunging, I will... Here, Here's a great example of lunges that's more functional. So you see a lot of people doing lunges in a Smith machine. A Smith machine, for those of you, most of you guys know what it is, but it's like a squat rack, but the Smith machine allows only up and down movement. So there's no side to side for most, for most Smith machines. There's other ones out there that move in different directions. But a, a normal Smith machine just goes up and down. So you might do lunges in a Smith machine where you're only going up and down. A more functional version of that would be doing stationary lunges where you're standing upright. You have maybe a barbell or dumbbells in your hand to kind of load you up with weight. And you're doing lunges just up and down, up and down with your body. Again, you can move a little bit when you're using just your body, uh, much more so than you would in a Smith machine. Something more functional than that would be like a Bulgarian split squat where you're doing body weight lunges, maybe holding weight, but your back leg is up on a chair or a bench, which makes you have to stabilize yourself even more because you're focused more on the front leg and there's less stabilization. Something more functional than that would be walking lunges where you have weights either in your hands, maybe it's just body weight, maybe you have a barbell across your back. And you're literally walking, lunging, moving forward. Again, a lot more freedom of movement, a lot more degrees of freedom. It's very functional. And even more functional than that would be what I, hard to describe. It's almost like I'm skipping, but I come down into a lunge at the bottom of each skip. So I lunge and then I drive up into the air. I leave the ground, driving up, and then you land back down into the next lunge. 
So an example, when I'm doing my lunges, I normally do dumbbell lunges. So I warm up, I'll have dumbbells, one dumbbell in each hand, and I'll go down and back. On my last set, I have my heaviest weight. I go down and back, drop that weight, grab a lighter weight. I'm doing a drop set, down and back. Grab an even lighter weight, down and back. Then I use my body weight. And on body weight, I do these kind of lunge skips that I was talking about, where I lunge down and I drive up as hard as I can and almost I leave the ground, driving up into the air and land back down on my next lunge. So that's a way of being very functional, very dynamic, and it's a great way to kind of burn out your glutes, your your quads, your hamstrings uh, in a way that's that's fun but also very functional. So that is kind of the overview of adding functional movements to your routine. Uh, I hope that kind of overview allows you to understand what's functional and what's not. And again, I just encourage you to add more functional movements to your routine where they make sense to so that you're prepared more for the real world so that you're not doing things in the gym that, you know, bulk up your muscles and make you look a certain way. But then out in the real world, you actually try to do something and you hurt yourself because you don't have those tendons and and ligaments moving in a way that actually represents all the different degrees of freedom that you experience out in the real world. Now, cardio. Let's talk about cardio. Everyone loves cardio, not. (laughs) Now, cardio is just a general term that we give to working out in a way that tends to stress your cardiovascular system over just, say, stimulating your muscles to grow. There's obviously many different types of cardio you can do. In general, a lot of people see cardio, they seem to associate cardio with fat loss. So it's like, if you want to get in shape, I need to lose a bunch of body fat or get my summer six-pack going, they automatically think cardio equals fat loss. Cardio is necessary for fat loss. Which is not true. Obviously, you don't need cardio to be very, very lean. If you want to lose body fat, all you need to do is create a calorie deficit. That could be from eating less food. That could be from working out more. It doesn't have to be cardio. You could lift You could lift more. You could do more functional movements. And that would increase your calorie burn. And you could lose body fat. You could get very, very lean, very shredded without any cardio. That being said, I do believe that cardio, when done properly, is a very good thing to have in your routine for a couple reasons. It stresses your cardiovascular system in a way that is very hard to replicate with weights. Of course, you know, you're working your cardiovascular system if you have like a, a heavy back day or obviously on leg day. Normally, legs are very difficult because they are so demanding on your cardiovascular system, your lungs, your heart, etc. But in general, I think cardio, when added to your routine intelligently, can be very beneficial to your overall goals for getting lean, boosting your metabolism, and just boosting your overall health. Now, there's two main forms of cardio that most people are familiar with, and I'm going to touch on them both. One is called high-intensity interval training. The other one is called Low Intensity Steady State. Kind of the uh, the acronyms that we use is HIT, so H-I-I-T for High Intensity Interval Training, and L-I-S-S, LIS, for Low Intensity Steady State. So LIS cardio is, I would say, 
almost like your traditional cardio where you might go for a jog for like half an hour or an hour where you go on a treadmill and you're jogging for a long duration, going on the elliptical trainer and going for, you know, some people, 90 minutes even, a long duration uh, cardio session. That's list training. Now, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of list training, especially when it comes to optimizing your hormonal profile, optimizing your look and making sure you can stay lean and look great and be healthy. Um, there's a couple things that list does that is not in your best interest necessarily when you compare it to HIT. For one, after a list workout, again, a low-intensity steady-state workout, you're not getting any real significant boost to your hormonal profile. You're not getting any surge in testosterone levels or IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor. Those, you know, growth hormone, those don't get a huge boost from doing list training. You may, you know, reduce your cortisol, your stress levels a little bit from doing a long cardio session. But other than that, your hormonal profile is relatively unchanged. In fact, if you do too, too much list training, like say you're running an hour a day or two hours a day, studies show that you can actually hurt your testosterone levels and hurt your beneficial hormones by lowering them because you're you're doing too much, you're almost breaking down your body. Another kind of negative of doing list training is you don't really get much muscle stimulation. So say you're walking on a treadmill for an hour, hour and a half, or using the elliptical. Yeah, you're, you're working your body, you're using your heart, getting blood flow, but you're not stimulating any muscle to grow, which, you know, again, is not going to shape your body anyway. It's just going to, yes, you're using your body, which is, again, it's, it's good, but you're not shaping your body anyway. There's no muscle stimulation happening. And again, partially because there's no muscle stimulation happening, you're also not getting any real metabolic boost. It's very minimal. For example, after your workout's done, again, using the example of walking on a treadmill for an hour, during the workout, your metabolism is going to be elevated while you're doing the exercise, especially the harder that you go if you have like an incline, going fast, etc. But once your workout is done, your metabolism is going to go back down to its baseline level very, very quickly. There's almost no afterburn effect. That's what I like to call it. The boost that you get with your metabolism after a workout. It's kind of the, the afterburn effect. And with list training, you get almost no afterburn metabolic boost. And there's also, to be honest, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but for me, doing list cardio is super boring. Super boring. I mean, you're on there for a long time. It's not very fun. It's not necessarily comfortable, right? You're still working. And it's such a long workout, like an hour, 45 minutes at least, hour and a half. Some people even do two hours. To me, I am bored out of my mind. <laughs> um, so that is, to me, a negative. Because if it's not fun, if you don't enjoy it, you know, it's going to be harder to do it. And then the last thing is there's also a negative where over time, there's been studies that show that if you do too much list cardio to the extreme, you can actually do damage to your metabolism and, and cause it to slow down. Now, this sounds weird, right? Like, why did, why would working out cause my metabolism to actually slow down? Well, think about it from a survival mechanism standpoint. You look at, like, an, a long-distance runner, an ultra-marathon runner. Maybe he is going for a 30- or 50-mile run in a single day. 
His metabolism, because he's constantly doing so much less cardio, has actually slowed down over time just so that he doesn't burn through a crazy, crazy amount of nutrients to the point that he would burn through all his muscle tissue and his fat tissue and he would eventually just die because he's burning so fast with his metabolism. To survive, his body has to adapt. It has to has to slow down the metabolism so that he's not burning as many calories during his run. Otherwise, he just wouldn't be able to survive. For example, if I were to run 30 or 50 miles in a single day, I would burn, for me to not lose weight, I would have to eat, I mean, this is just an example, of course, but I'd probably have to eat like 10,000, 20,000 calories, like a, a stupid amount of food because my metabolism is super fast. It's in an in a evolutionary standpoint, a fast metabolism is also is almost uh, inefficient. It's it's almost not ideal, right? Because the faster your metabolism, the more you have to eat to maintain your weight. So in that sense, again, we want a fast metabolism so that we can stay lean and have a, a great body that's healthy. But from an evolutionary standpoint, a fast metabolism sometimes was a negative thing back in the day. So say this marathon runner and I are both doing, you know, 50 miles. We're going for a long run. I'm burning because my metabolism is so fast, in one sense kind of inefficient in a way, I'm burning a ton of calories. For the marathon runner that trains like this all the time, his body has adapted, it's used to it. His metabolism has slowed down so it doesn't burn through nutrients as quickly. He's able to do these, you know, 30, 50 mile runs and maybe eat only 5,000 calories a day. Still a good amount of food, but he's not going to die by eating a smaller amount of food because his body has adapted. It's changed itself to to adapt to the stress that it puts it under. So this is not a good thing for us. We do not want our metabolism slowing down from cardio. That's not not a good thing. That means that means it's easier to gain body fat. Again, your body from an evolutionary standpoint would love it if you had a bunch of extra fat tissue, adipose tissue, you know, a bunch of fat stored on your body. Because that means it could survive longer if there is a famine. For us, you know, <laughs> we want to look good. We want to be healthy, but we also want to look good, right? We want to have a tight, strong body that is aesthetically pleasing to the eye and also healthy. Now, what's good about list cardio? I pretty much, <laughs> pretty much shat on it. Pretty, pretty tough here. <laughs> so, what's good about list cardio? There are, of course, some benefits. It's better than not doing anything at all for the most part, right? You're moving your body, which is important for health. You're getting more blood flow. So you're just moving blood flow around your body, which helps with removing waste from your cells. Overall, more blood flow in your body is just a good thing. If you're sick, <clears throat> say that you're really sick. You have the flu or you just have a cold. You feel really down and kind of tired. Going to the gym and doing a list cardio where you just get the blood flowing and get some movement going can be a very good thing to help you recover faster. But it's not going to do a lot of stress to your CNS, your central nervous system, which is a good thing if you're sick. The last thing you want to do is when you're tired and weak and recovering from illness to go into the gym and go super, super hard doing a hit cardio session. That could actually make you more sick because your immune system is compromised already, your energy levels are low, so in this case, a list cardio workout is beneficial because you're getting blood flow, you're moving your body, 
you're getting those waste products, you know, pushed out of the cells, but you're not stressing your CNS system in a way that's going to hurt your recovery, getting over your sickness. And, uh, you know, if you want to go to the gym and, and read a book or watch a movie, list cardio is definitely the way to go. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Leave the movies and books at home, guys. Come on. We got work to do. So hit cardio now. What's good about hit cardio? Well, basically just the opposite of list cardio, right? So from a hormonal standpoint, you get a huge boost from doing hit cardio. After a hard hit workout, similar to after a, a hard lifting workout where you're using you know resistance and weights and bands or whatever you use for resistance, if you train hard, you get a great hormonal spike. Your testosterone is elevated. Your insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1, is elevated. Your growth hormone is elevated. These are all great things that are going to help you build more muscle, lose body fat, and just make you overall very healthy. Now, again, the opposite of list cardio, in terms of muscle stimulation, you can actually get some great muscle stimulation from doing HIIT cardio. For example, say you're doing hill sprints or, or jumps up a hill. If you're being very explosive and doing HIIT cardio, you can stimulate your quads, your hamstrings, your glutes very, very effectively during a HIIT workout that causes it to build muscle and shape itself in a way that's that's, of course, pleasing from an aesthetic standpoint, but also makes you stronger, makes you stronger. And you just don't get that with list cardio. If you're just walking up a hill, eh, you're not really stimulating muscle to grow. If you're doing frog jumps up a hill, you're going to cause your glutes to get bigger and stronger. Your hamstrings, your quads will get stronger and tighter, more toned. Again, talking to you know men and female differences men have so much more testosterone than the average woman so a guy might get a lot more mass from his glutes and his quads and his hamstrings doing hit cardio uphill uh, females typically will just get more toned tighter you might get a little bit more shape in the glutes but it's not gonna make your legs super bulky again don't worry about that from a metabolic boost we talked about the afterburn effect you get a huge afterburn doing hit cardio especially like a very hard hit session doesn't have to be long. That's one of the benefits of doing HIIT cardio. Normally, the workouts only take 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes tops compared to like an hour, hour and a half of a list cardio session. But you get a huge metabolic boost. Let's say during your workout, these are just made up numbers I'm using. But let's say during a workout, you do a list cardio session, low intensity, for an hour. Maybe you burn 500 calories over that workout. Over the next 24 hours after that that list cardio session, after that one hour of the treadmill work, again, you burn 500 calories during the workout. After the workout, for the next 24 hours, maybe you burn another 300. Nothing too crazy. With a HIIT cardio session, you go super hard. Let's say during a 30-minute HIIT cardio session, you burn 600 calories. Again, not much more than the list cardio, right? It took you half as much time, which is a good thing. But instead of 500 calories, you burn 600 calories. Again, not that much more during the workout. But the afterburn effect, the next 24 to 36 hours after that hit cardio session, you're going to burn so much more calories. You get such a larger metabolic boost. Now, again, I'm not going to just, these are just examples, right? I don't know the exact amount of calories that you're going to be burning over the next 24 to 36 hours is very individual. It depends on your body size male or female, how old you are, how much muscle mass you have. There's a lot of variables here. But for my example, 
Just for example's sake, say you burn 600 calories during your HIIT cardio session. Over the next 24 to 36 hours, you may burn an extra 800 or 1,000 calories just from the afterburn effect. Again, the workout is done. It only took 30 minutes. But your total calorie burn for the whole workout plus the afterburn effect is is over 1,000 calories, maybe two or three times, maybe even more of what you get for a list cardio session, which is which is awesome, right? More bang, more results for for less time working. Yeah, the hit workout's going to be a lot harder, but you get so much more benefit. In terms of boredom, I have never really been too bored with a hit cardio session. For one, those workouts tend to be a lot faster, right? Once I warm up, my hit cardio may only take 20 minutes, 25 minutes. You don't have really the time to get bored. And normally I do my hit cardio outside. So I'm, I'm running up hills or doing something in the park. So there's all these different, you know, degrees of motion and freedom to move. So it's much more stimulating to the mind. You're, you're out in nature. You're breathing fresh air. So you don't really get bored like you would maybe on a long jog where you're just zoning out for an hour, hour and a half. Another benefit from HIIT cardio is you get a boost to your lactic acid threshold. Now the lactic acid threshold is basically when you're working out, say you're doing uh, push-ups for example, there's a point when you're doing push-ups where there is so much lactic acid going into your muscles, your chest, your triceps. At a certain point, the pH levels in those muscle cells, those muscle fibers, it gets so low, so acidic, that those cells actually stop working. They aren't able to fire anymore. They aren't able to, to expand and contract anymore. And at that point, you hit muscle muscular failure. So a HIIT workout is something that would actually increase, improve your lactic acid threshold, allowing your body to deal with lactic acid and, and remove it from your cells much more efficiently, allowing you to work out harder and longer, which is awesome, right? In the gym, we're trying to transform our body so that we're strong and fit and healthy. The last thing we want is our muscle cells, our muscles, our fibers, our muscle groups to be burning out before we really had a good workout. So by doing HIIT cardio, you get a boost to your lactic acid threshold, which is awesome. So those are a lot of, that's a lot of good stuff, right? And those are a lot of benefits with HIIT cardio. So what's the negative? Why would HIIT cardio be a bad thing? Well, there's two things that come to mind off the top of my head. One is, you know, the opposite of what we just said earlier. If you're sick, if you have, you know, a fever and you're not feeling well and temperature, you have a cold, you're overcoming something, the last thing you want to be doing is going through a hard HIIT workout because a HIIT workout is going to stress your central nervous system, your CNS. And if you're already you know, tired and kind of your immune system's compromised and you're very depleted when you're sick trying to recover, you can actually do more damage than good because your body's trying to recover. So don't hit it while it's down in, in a sense, you know? So that's one negative. One other potential negative of doing HIIT cardio is because HIIT cardio is much more explosive, you're primarily using glucose for fuel. And a downside to that is if you're on a low-carb diet and your body hasn't yet adapted to being low-carb, then you may have a hard time pushing the intensity on HIIT cardio because you may just feel tired because you don't have enough 
glucose levels, your your cells are depleted from glucose, and it's just going to be harder to do that HIIT workout. And in that scenario, list cardio may be seen as a more beneficial way of doing cardio. Again, this is complicated, right? When we're talking about how your nutrients are being broken down, whether you're in ketosis or if you have adequate glucose levels. But and and there's another thing, right? If you go low carb, if you're going in ketosis on a keto diet, very low carbs, high protein, high fat. If you if you do that for a long enough period of time, your body will adapt and it will find other mechanisms to create create glucose from what you're eating. But again, this is more and you know once it has adapted, you can do hit cardio. But this is more if you've if you're used to like a higher carb diet and then you pretty rapidly switch to a low-carb diet. Your body is still used to burning carbs for energy. Your body wants to burn glucose for energy during a HIIT workout. And if your body hasn't adapted yet, if you're still in that four to six to eight week window where your body's adapting to a more ketogenic diet, you're going to be in a world of misery (laughs) if you try to do a HIIT cardio. Um, Again, we can talk more into this in detail later when I interview some keto experts and we talk about this topic, but just another side note. For the most part, hit cardio is the way to go by far, in my opinion. Now, that's kind of an overview of the benefits, the positives and negatives of list cardio and hit cardio. I'll give you a couple examples to end this episode with how you might do hit cardio. You know, I, I kind of talked up hit cardio pretty well now. Now, this is some ways that you can actually do your hit cardio. When I think about designing a HIIT cardio routine, it always depends on how in shape I am when I first start because there's different different ways that you can progress your HIIT cardio so that's more and more intense over time. And you can do this honestly with almost any type of cardio movement. So just some examples. Say I'm doing jump rope. Say I'm not in very good shape to begin with. A way that I might start doing HIIT cardio is just doing something like 50 regular jump ropes as fast as I can, and then a one-minute rest. 50 as fast as I can, one-minute rest. And repeat that. And I might just do a total of 10 sets. So 10 sets of 50 jump ropes, one-minute rest. Now, as I get in better shape, I might go up to 100 jump ropes. So I'm going 100 all out as fast as I can with one-minute rest. As I get in better shape, I might add in more, more rounds. Maybe I'm doing 15 rounds or 20 rounds. To increase your intensity even further, I might do something like double unders where I'm I'm doing two jumps for every time I jump up. So two rotations of the jump rope every time I jump, double unders. That is going to be much more intense, right? So maybe instead of 100 jumps as fast as I can go, that's not getting me tired enough. So I go to double unders as fast as I can, as long as I can for a minute straight. And then I rest a minute between. You can also, of course, decrease your rest interval as a way of increasing your intensity. So instead of doing a minute rest, you could go down to 45 seconds or 30 seconds. The problem is if you go too short with your rest interval, you limit your ability to go hard during your your high-intensity part, almost defeating the purpose. So I like to make sure I'm fully rested so that I can hit each interval with full intensity. That is the point of HIIT cardio. You want to be able to go to your full intensity during the HIIT, during the high intensity part, and really allow yourself to recover fully. Take your full minute. Take a minute and a half, even two minutes. It's fine. 
recover between your intervals so you can go hard when it's time to go hard. So that's a jump rope example. If I'm doing sprints, if I'm not in the best shape, I might start with just flat sprints. So I found an, an open field and I'll sprint across. Once I'm warmed up, of course, I sprint down on a flat field and I'll walk back. Sprint down, walk back on a flat ground. Once I get in better shape, I'll find a hill. So I'll do hill sprints. Once I, get, I do a good warm up, I'll do, you know, hill sprints, sprinting up the hill, walking back down, sprinting up, walking back down. Same principle of sets applies. So when I'm first starting out, I might just do, you know, like eight hill sprints. Once I get in better shape, maybe I'll go to the 12 or 15. I want to do more than maybe 15 or 20 at the most. Otherwise, if you're trying to do like 30 hill sprints, it gets to the point where you're going to be pacing yourself. You're not really doing high intensity anymore. It's more uh, medium intensity. It's like you can only go so hard, so fast for so long. And if you're doing too too many intervals or you're not resting enough between sets, it's not really as high intensity as it should be. So again, in this example, I went from flat sprints to hill sprints. And then once you get used to doing hill sprints, maybe you find the steepest hill that you can. You can add weight. You can grab a weight vest. You can add ankle weights. You can add more weight to increase the intensity. Uh, of course, if you get like a really heavy weight vest, uh, just be more careful. Make sure you really, really warm up well before you try sprinting up a hill with, with a weight vest. And also make sure you're walking down the hill very carefully because with that extra weight on your body, you, you got to be really, really careful with your knees. And another example would be stairs. If I'm not in the best shape, I might you know, run up a long flight of stairs and walk down slowly, run up, walk down slowly. Once I get in better shape, I'm going to make sure I'm going as fast as I can to the top. Maybe before when I'm not in the best shape, I'm going at like 70% speed. Well, once I'm in really good shape, I'm going to go all out, balls to the wall, 100% speed going up the stairs. Make sure you're careful. Don't trip and, and hurt yourself, but as fast as I can up the stairs. And as I get in better shape, I'm going to Again, you, you want to be careful, but you would come down the stairs faster, very carefully, but faster when you're in better shape because you're trying to decrease that, that rest period. The same principle applies when possible. You don't want to decrease your rest interval too much, right? Because then again, you're going into that medium intensity because you're not resting enough, you're not recovered enough, so then you're not able to go at your full intensity when it's time to go fast. So ideally, ideally, you have a staircase that goes long enough or far enough or high enough where you're able to really burn yourself out. You can go hard for like 30 seconds and really get tired, and then you can really take your time walking down and just fully recover. Take a minute, take two minutes to fully recover. Um, if you have too short of stairs, so it's like, you know, a flight of like 12 stairs, it's going to be really hard to sprint up 12, 12 stairs come back down, sprint up, come back down. It's going to be really hard to get a good high-intensity workout from that. So those are just some examples. Again, some ways to increase your intensity, adding weight, weight vests, ankle weights, etc. De decreasing rest intervals to an extent. Again, you don't want to decrease your rest intervals too much because you do want to recover between sets. Finding inclines, finding ways to go against gravity. The more you fight against gravity, the harder it's going to be. And in general, just to kind of finish up, 
some injury prevention tips, you always want to warm up really well. And you want to warm up specifically the muscle groups that are being targeted during a HIIT workout. Because you are stimulating your muscles. You're, you're being more explosive with them. You want to make sure they're warmed up well. So, for example, if I was doing jump rope, a very, very quick, very hard jump rope, especially if I'm doing like double unders and whatnot, you want to make sure that your calves, your Achilles tendons are all warmed up very well. You know, make sure you do like 100 or 200 calf raises to really get the blood flow in there, stretch out your Achilles before you do that hard jumping rope. If I'm doing sprints, if I'm doing flat sprints, flat sprints use a lot more hamstring. So once I do a good warm-up, I would make sure I do some hamstring, you know, dynamic warm-up movements, whether you're doing like toe touches or kind of like zombie walks, whatever it is where you're throwing up your leg and kind of warming up your hamstring in a very dynamic way to get them prepped for the, the flat sprints. If I'm doing stairs or hill sprints, I want to make sure I'm warming up the muscles that I'm going to be using the most, like your glutes, your calves, your Achilles tendon. So make sure you're warming up those, you know, those muscle groups very, very well. One thing that I normally do if I'm doing like stairs or hill sprints or flat sprints is I do three warm-up rounds that, that don't normally count towards my total. So I do the first round at 50% speed, just going literally 50%, not very fast, almost like a, a jog, like a medium speed jog going up the hill or going across the field. Then I walk back. The next one is at 70%. So going a little bit harder, still not going too hard, but going closer to full speed. In my third one, once I walk back down or walk back across the field, is a 90% speed. So going almost full speed, but still holding back. So I go 50%, 70%, 90%. Of course, these are just guidelines. You know, it's very subjective to what you think is 50%, 70%, 90%. But the point is to get some warm-up rounds in where you're not going full speed yet until you're fully warmed up. And doing that, warming up your muscle groups that you're going to be targeting, doing those three warm-up rounds before you really start going hard, those are just going to help you stay safe and prevent injury while you're getting all the benefits of HIIT cardio. And one final point on HIIT cardio is I'm giving you these guidelines comparing HIIT to LIST, assuming that you're healthy, that you are able to do hill sprints, or frog jumps up a hill, or do stairs, or work up to that. Obviously, if you're much older, you know whether it's late 60s, 70s, 80s, and you do have a history of injuries already, or you have a bad back, or you have heart conditions, there's so many variables here, right? I'm just assuming that you're healthy and you're able to do these things. Obviously, it's very important that you work with a, a doctor or health practitioner to see what you can do. But in general, if you've had a lot of surgeries, back surgery, hip replacement, torn you know, ligaments, uh, doing list cardio may definitely be the way to go in terms of your overall health, minimizing chance of re-injury, etc. And you still get a huge amount of benefits doing that as well. Whether that's improved circulation, strengthening your heart, releasing endorphins, lowering your cortisol and stress levels, removing waste products from your cells. Again, just in general, moving your body Doing cardio in general is still a very healthy thing compared to doing nothing at all. So that's it for today's episode. We went over a lot. We went over functional training, how to add more functional training to your routines for different muscle groups, the benefits of functional training. We went over the difference between HIIT cardio and LIST cardio, those benefits, what's good, what's bad, 
some ways to add HIIT cardio to your routine, how to progress your HIIT cardio while staying safe to get the most benefit with minimal injury. Hope you enjoyed this episode. That's it for episode four. If you're getting value from this show, please leave a review. Make sure you subscribe. That really helps me grow the show so I can help as large an audience as possible enjoy their own anti-aging lifestyle. And now stay tuned for Tomco tip number four. For today's Tomko tip, I want to talk about the importance of focus and how that controls how you feel in a particular moment. Tony Robbins has a quote. He says, where focus goes, energy flows. Said another way, he also says, whatever you focus on, you're going to feel. And it's so true, right? If you focus on something positive, all the good things that happen during your day, you're going to feel great. You're going to feel amazing, at least in that moment. If you focus on gratitude, things that you can be grateful for in your life, in a matter of a few moments, you can feel, you can go from feeling, oh, today was a rough day. You focus on 10 things that you're grateful for, and immediately you feel so much better, so much more grateful. So, in general, if you're focusing on good things, things that you can be grateful for, you're just gonna have a much more positive outlook throughout your day, which is a good place to live. Now, that being said, It is not a bad thing to occasionally focus on the negatives, focus on the mistakes you've made and the failures that you've had because there's incredible power and energy with failures in your life, especially big ones that you don't ever forget. And when used correctly, when focused on in small bursts, they can provide almost an unlimited source of energy and power and drive to push you forward throughout your day when things are tough, when when you have doubt. Sometimes those memories of the failures are what push you much more further, much more, more powerfully than you know, a, a feeling of gratitude even. Now the important thing is you don't want to live in that negativity. You don't want to live in those mistakes and those failures in the past. Don't live there. Don't make it your new emotional home. But it's not a bad thing to occasionally use that as fuel for the fire. But again, stay in control. Just remember, whatever you focus on, you're going to feel. Until next time, love you guys.